Father, it's a really simple, simple thing that we do this morning to say to you that you are the one, you are the only one. Sometimes it's in simple testimonies like we heard. Sometimes it's in a very calm song like this beautiful song about your name. Because we know that the words mean more than what one might think. They mean the nature of the power of God. Lord, your, your word changes us. And so we thank you for that. And we thank you for the way that you show up every day. Lord, sometimes it's just in a simple birth of a simple child. Sometimes it's in an anniversary. Sometimes it's in how cars operate. <laughs> sometimes it's just in a relationship where someone just kind of holds on through a tough time. They don't let go. And Lord, we experience the nature of how you work in our lives. And my prayer for us this morning, Father, is that we wouldn't miss the thing that you're doing in us because of the normality of how we experience it, because of the calmness of how we experience it. Uh, Father, sometimes it's in those times when you speak the loudest, when you are the closest, when you are the best and wellest known by us. Thank you for that. Thank you for it not being a show. Thank you for it not just being image, but that it is substance, it's real. And Lord, we know that that's in you, it's in Christ, in Christ alone. Uh, Lord Jesus, our heart before you today says that we desire to walk with you. That's why we're here. We desire to know you. And so we ask for your uh, presence to be so well felt, well understood, so well experienced that we would know you more by having been here. God, grant us that kind of grace, whether it's here on Sunday morning or whether it's at our job on Thursday, whether it's at home on Saturday afternoon, on a ball field, no matter where we are, that our experience of you would just multiply and develop and grow. God, you're in all of those places and you're ready to encounter us every step of the way. Thank you for that. Thank you for the kind of grace that only comes in Christ. Lord Jesus, when we think about the challenges that we face in life, sometimes they're overwhelming to us. And yet right in the middle of all of that, you are present, you are real. And I thank you. I, we, we thank you. We just say thank you, Lord, for the grace of what it means that we understand that you're working inside of us. As we open up Matthew 6 once again and think about these two great chapters, Matthew 6 and 7, words from our Lord. Father, my prayer is that you speak clearly to us right where we are. Put your finger on that part of my life, on that part of each one of our lives that you want to give attention to as we talk today. I pray that by the power of your word that it unearths those things that will create the capacity that is inside of us because of Christ to know you. Uh, don't allow the hardness of our hearts and don't allow the callousness of life the seeming uh, endless parade of stuff. Don't allow all of that to keep us from seeing and sensing you that we would know you and be known of you. I pray that in Christ's holy, righteous name. Amen. Amen. Each week as I go through the week, one of my desires and one of my attempts, so to speak, is to 
keep my heart and my mind attentive to the things that God's doing with me, you know, and around me. Um, one of the reasons I do that, there's more than one, I suppose, but one of the reasons certainly is to um, sense where God might be wanting to influence a message like today's you know, topic that we're going to talk about, just to be sensitive to that. Well, that happened this week, and it happened a couple of different ways, and I want to kind of just describe those two. Um, I had an interesting experience this past Wednesday morning. I was meeting with Charlie, my prayer partner, and we were meeting in a coffee shop down the Orlando area. One of our buddies is the manager of that shop, and one of the workers, her name is Rose, uh, walked into the Einsteins there and began to begin her shift, you know, that morning. And as she came in, she greeted everyone just like she normally does. She's just a really vivacious gal, you know. Just It's fun to see Rose, you know, because Rose is interested in you. And she smiles and she engages you, you know. She's just out in front, you know, just a really, really precious person. But this particular morning, uh, she, she was greeting people, but she made her way to our table uh, very quickly and obviously on purpose. And when she got there, I could tell that something was different because there were tears in her eyes. And as she looked at us, she looked up at Charlie, and she ended up saying to him, I was devastated to hear the news. Now at that moment, I quite frankly had no idea what she was referring to. Um, she, she said this with such, such passion, so to speak. Then Charlie said, yeah, he's, he's up there waiting for you to get there. Now, I still didn't know what had happened. I wasn't sure. You know, I was kind of clueless, quite frankly. And I, but as I listened, as Rose described how that she had heard about a 13-year-old little boy passing away the week prior, it really got my attention. Uh, Addison was a friend of Charlie's two sons, Winston and Matthew. The family was a well-loved family in their church and in their community, and it was real obvious even from Rose. Rose knew her grandmother from the coffee shop. And she'd ask so many times how Addison was doing to Charlie because she knew the connection was close with Charlie's family. And every Wednesday I heard about Addison. I didn't know him myself, uh, never knew the family, still don't know the family. Uh, but here was this, this uh, passionate kind of touch with this little boy uh, who was 13 years old. Uh, I knew that Addison, Addison had a terminal disease he succumbed to that disease the week prior. And, and Rose, she had a day off during, during the middle of all of that. And she, she said that um, it, was just, it was just really tough because she came in on Monday on the week after and the grandmother happened into the, into the coffee shop and told her about Addison's passing and how that she had missed the funeral. And she related that to us. And Charlie talked about the nature of the funeral, how many, so many people came and how wonderful it was and all of that. And she was just kind of heartbroken because she didn't get to comfort the family, you know, didn't get to be there during the time of loss. Uh, she, was, she was literally crying over it. She says, I could not believe that I had missed that funeral. I just could not believe it. Uh, she, she continued to weep, you know. Charlie described how his two sons, just two days prior to Addison's death, looked at their mom and said, Addison's not going to make it, is he? And she told them, no, he's not going to make it. And they were learning just this huge life lesson, you know? 
you know, it came, it came, you know, I, I went to the restroom after that when we were getting ready to run over to the Bible study that we participate in, and, and I found myself in the restroom just kind of weeping, you know, inside. It wasn't strong. It was just there. And I didn't even know this little boy, you know, I didn't even know him. And somehow this conversation between Rose and Charlie just kind of tugged on my heart and touched me deeply, you know. And I came out of it later in the week thinking about this and thinking about this message. And I go, what do we value, you know? You know, I mean, life and death situations beg the question, what do I value, don't they? It's kind of like when 911 happened. We saw the America literally change its tone and its topic of discussion. I remember during that time watching Jay Leno, which Jay Leno is usually a pretty crass guy, I suppose, and humorist and all those kinds of things. And yet they were talking about substantive things on that show. They were even talking about spiritual things on that show. It was interesting. You know, the values that, what, what do we value? I mean, how do we value life? What do we value in life? I mean, it reminded me of the transitory nature of life. You know, it reminded me of how close that transitory nature comes, how temporal it is. All you have to do is think about your child, your own child, to recognize just how empowering this, this thing can be. Just what do we really value, you know? I, I came out with another question about satisfaction as we talked about last week, you know, and just the question is, how am I satisfied? How do I experience satisfaction? What is the nature of satisfaction in my own life? You know, what do I allow myself to be satisfied with and by? And, and these, these kinds of things just kind of overcame me this week, so to speak, as I, as I thought about Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, this text that we looked at last week, you know. It's kind of an interesting little text of Scripture. You know, Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I, I started thinking about this text maybe a little differently than I've ever thought about it, and I thought about it in the form of a question as opposed to in the form of a statement. And the question is, what will you treasure in your life? You know, what will you treasure in your life? You know, when we get to life and death settings, so many times we end up asking that question formatively, you know. We answer it perhaps substantively instead of just simply doing whatever we desire on a particular day because we want to do it that day, you know. I mean, I think what Christ is doing here is He's drawing a connector to us in what we might call a satisfaction quotient. How do I get to the place where I will experience satisfaction? And, and, and my rendition of it is that what I treasure determines my satisfaction level. What I treasure determines how satisfied I'm going to be in life. And, and as I thought about this, I came out with another question. Why is that true? Why does that happen? Why is it true that, that my heart follows my treasure? You know, Why is it true that what I treasure in does determine how satisfied my experience in life is. Why is that true? Or were these just words of Jesus that He's just spouting off, you know? Were they just sermon topics, so to speak? Or was it something deeper than that? Was it more than that? And so as I was thinking about this, I thought about my favorite snack. Snick, I mean, if you believe the commercial, this little Snickers guy will satisfy you at a moment of hunger. It'll produce the result you're after, you know? I mean, you know, why is that true? Well, I think it's because the nature of what something is determines 
what that something can produce. So, for instance, the sugar that's inside of this can give you quick energy. So if you eat something sweet, you'll get energy fast. But the interesting thing about Snickers is that it has this blend of tastes. And the reason it does is because of how many different things that are in it. The sugar helps me out immediately, but the peanuts give me protein, which helps me out for a longer period of time. I mean, if you believe the commercial, I mean, man, you can eat this stuff and just really have all kinds of energy and have the ability just to make it through the day. I mean, well, maybe not this little guy, right? It might take this guy. <laughs> She's ready to catch it. This is second service. I can throw it away. <laughs> And the point is, the substance that something is made of determines, and the, literally the characteristics of what it is, determines what it's able to produce. So sugar brings quick energy, and protein brings long-term energy by the nature of what it is. Now what I want you to do is I want you to take that truth and apply it to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Show us that verse, Ruthie. Here's this prohibitive on the words in, in the mouth of our Lord where he says, don't do something. But, and I know you understand this, but I want you to get that he's not saying don't do this because he has the ability to say don't do this. And I'm not, I don't believe he's saying don't do this because you shouldn't. I believe he's saying don't do this because it's harmful to you. The nature of earthly treasure can be lost. And so if you treasure in it, you're going to have a temporal treasure. The, the power of that, and we might end up saying it this way, earthly treasures last for a short time and they erode. All it takes is a thief to come by, and the thing that you treasure, no matter how valuable it might be, can be gone. All it takes is rust. That's all. I, I have a car, and I've owned this car since 2000, and I really like this car. It's been a great car for me. Now, it's got 130,000 miles on it, and I'm real committed to driving it till the wheels won't roll, <laughs> you know. But every time I get in it, something happens that tells me this thing is not going to last. <laughs> I mean, it's the nature of it. And Christ is trying to say, if you treasure things that are temporal, the results are going to be short-lived, temporal. They're not, it's not going to make it. So he's not trying to say, just don't do this. I don't want you to have. He's trying to say, don't go there. It will hurt you. Now, you can apply the same truth to, to verse 20. Pop it up for us, Ruthie. Here's the command that says, do. Store up treasures from heaven, treasures in heaven. Store them up when they're eternal in nature because you can't get them stolen there, you know? And so we might say it this way. Heavenly treasures last for eternity or there's a, they are as sure as God is. I mean, the nature of heavenly treasures are as sure as God is. They can't be lost. And so he says, help yourself. This is the way to life. This is the thing that's going to benefit you the most in life is 
heavenly treasures. And if you get committed to those heavenly treasures, guess what? The results are going to be eternal. They're not going to be transitory. They're not going to be lost because of a thief or because of rust or because of moth or whatever, you know? They're not going to be lost. They're unlosable and the power of it can be yours. Now, that's pretty clear, isn't it? Every time Christ commands, clarity is there. It's not hard to understand. It, it's almost hard to misunderstand, isn't it? You know, he says, he says, but he says this, he says all of this for one reason. One reason. He wants us to understand it for one reason. And that's what verse 21 is. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. My treasures reveal my heart. My treasures reveal my heart. That's what he's trying to get me to understand. That the thing that I actually treasure is the key way, it's the clearest way, it's the best way. I mean, there's a lot of indicators maybe where your heart is, but some of them are deceptive. I mean, have you ever had a friend come up to you right in the middle of a really hard time for you and they just kind of pat you on the back and say, it's going to be okay. And you look at them and you say, no, it's not going to be okay. This is not easy. This is challenging. This takes me to the floor. You know, don't blibly tell me everything's going to be okay. I mean, they might mean well, but it's deceptive. What is my heart really experiencing? What am I really having? When I understand what I actually treasure, I learn what my heart looks like. It, it's, it's, not a, it's not a thing to where I, what I want my heart to look like. It's what my heart actually looks like. That's what he's trying to get us to see. That my treasures reveal my heart. They will tell me what my heart actually looks like. It, it, it literally is one of those places if we're going to get what Jesus is trying to say to us in this text and in the larger context of Matthew 6 and 7, which I'm going to outline for you in just a moment, if we're going to understand that and receive what He's after for us getting, then we're going to have to, we're going to, have to make a jump. Because here's what we do too many times to, to verse 19 and 20. We, we end up saying earthly treasure are cars and houses and land and money. We, we put them in those contexts, right? And we think about someone stealing it, someone, you know, our car eroding, kind of the example I gave just a couple of moments ago. Uh, we think about it that way. And that's where our thinking stops. And because our thinking stops there, we don't understand the heart because, quite frankly, all of us need a car, right? And we probably need a better car than a poor car. <laughs> I mean, if it keeps breaking down, Guess what? It's going to cost more. Right? And so I need it to work. All of us need a house. I mean, why don't... Let's just think about it this way. Why, if, if, tre, if earthly treasures cause my heart to go awry, and I'm defining earthly treasures simply as houses, why don't we all live in $72,342 valued houses? They're out there. Why don't we do it? Instead of $400,000 houses, $250,000 houses, $500,000 houses. Why don't we? Well, there's reasons, isn't there? There are. 
And, and there are reasons to live in a, in a higher-valued house. Appropriate reasons, quite frankly. I mean, I think there's reasons to live in a $1.2 million house. You know? I mean, valid reasons. And it's not, that's not where, you see, when we define the treasure Jesus is talking about, and he's saying stay away from, when we define the treasure just simply physically or financially, put a dollar mark on it, we miss the point. What I think what he wants us to do is ask a different set of questions because his subject in this text is not treasure. His subject is heart. The whole reason he gives the two commands the whole reason he makes this statement, factual as it is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, is so that you can identify where your heart is. Clearly, this is not hard to get, right? When I look at my treasure, when I look at what I treasure, when I look at how I treasure what I treasure, I know what my heart looks like, period. That's what he's trying to say. All these other routine ways of discovering what your heart looks like can be confusing. They can be deceptive. I mean, you can talk to three people about the same subject and about how you should feel about it, get three totally different responses, and go, I don't have a clue what to do. You ever been there? Yeah. Yeah. The subject isn't treasure. The subject is heart. The reason why he points out the treasure is so that I will be able to know what my heart looks like. You got it? So we end up asking a different set of questions. For instance... What makes you feel safe? What makes you feel safe? See, that question is about the heart, isn't it? That question is about the nature of what's going on. Here's another. What makes you think soundly? Why do you think what you think and believe what you believe, know what you know? Why are you committed to that? What makes you think soundly? What creates satisfaction in your life? How do desires met... Why do those desires met create satisfaction inside of you? Why is that true? Why isn't it something else that creates satisfaction in you? Why does one thing make you feel safe when another doesn't? Last night when we went to bed, as many of you might have done, I punched some buttons and alarmed our house. Why? See, why do I feel safe like that? What causes safety in my own life? Can something that shouldn't cause safety cause safety? Sure. So how do I evaluate that? What does my heart actually look like? What creates coping skills in you? What brings the ability, when you're going through a really hard thing, to deal with that hard thing well, to cope with it? What creates coping skills? And, and here's another one. What are the things that I trust in? How does trust actually get developed inside of me, in my life? Why is there one thing I depend on and another that I don't? Why the one thing as opposed to the other? I mean, in a relational experience, we know this, what this is about, don't we? We get a friend, we trust something to them, we trust with them, and then when we need them, they don't show up. We don't trust that person, do we? How does trust get developed in my life? See, these are the kinds of heart questions that we can discover if we will discover why they're there, which is the treasure. And is it an earthly treasure or is it a heavenly treasure? Which one actually produces it? Now, the subject isn't treasure. 
And if we just think about treasures and we just talk about treasures and we just say, I'm not doing this one, I'm doing that one, we haven't gotten there yet. That's the point. Because what he wants us to see is where our heart actually is. And life is too deceptive to tell us. People are too, they're too weak, if you will. And sometimes they don't know. I mean, I've had people come by and talk to me and they think I'm going to be able to tell them. And I go, I, I don't know. I don't know. What can tell them? What they treasure. Do you see it? Do you see the point of what Jesus is trying to get at here? The point isn't make sure you don't do this and you, that you do this. That's not the point. Now that's clear. It gives you a clear path. But the point is, what does your heart look like? What does your heart look like? The way you answer that question is what you treasure. Answer what you treasure and you know exactly what your heart looks like. Okay? For example, I'm going to describe this as the function of the heart. Now, we could talk a long time about what the dynamics of the heart are and what the heart actually is biblically and all of that. But I'm going to give you four elements of what the function of the heart is from a biblical standpoint. For instance, heart has an emotional element to it. It feels. Scripture will talk about how the heart feels and how something relates emotionally to us and that we're to, to, uh, uh, to experience that feeling, if you will. The heart feels, and it does. And when we think in terms of how I feel about something... We are talking about our heart. The second one is the heart has a mental element to it. It thinks. So the basis upon which I come to conclusions, you know, how I come to conclusions, what I come to conclusions about, has everything to do with my heart. It's a function of the heart. Got it? The third one. It's, a, it's this word volitional. It has a volitional element, which means it chooses. It not only has the ability and power to choose, but that it does choose. Now, you could put another word here. You could put the word desires down, but I don't want you to confuse it to the emotion of desire, but to the choice of desire. Why do you want what you want? And why do you choose what you choose? When you choose what you choose, your heart is talking. It comes right out of your heart. And the fourth one is the spiritual element. There is a spiritual element to it. And this is the nature of trust. How do I trust God? How do I trust others? How do I trust the Word of God? How do I place trust in something or someone? Now we're talking again about our heart. These are the functions of the heart. It's, it's, it's when I think in terms of what I treasure, what I treasure affects me emotionally, mentally, volitionally, and spiritually. And how I respond to it emotionally, mentally, volitionally, and spiritually displays my heart. Thus, my heart's where my treasure is. Does that make sense? Got the connectors? Okay. Now, what I want to do now is I want to take this truth that Christ is trying to get me and you to think about our hearts, not just about what we're treasure or how we're placing treasure in our life. That He's trying to get me to think about my heart and you get you to think about your heart. I want to place it into the context of Matthew 6 and 7. Now, I want to do it a couple of different ways. And here's the point. How I see my heart affects everything in my life. And it absolutely affects what Jesus is trying to teach me in Matthew 6 and 7, what He's trying to give me. Because He's given us the goods here, isn't He? I mean, these are empowering texts of Scripture. For instance, the first one, and look at verse 24. I Just turn in your Bibles. This is not going to be on the screen. Turn in your Bibles to verse 24 of Matthew chapter 6. Here's this verse we looked at a couple of weeks ago where He says, "...no one can serve two masters." You know, point. No one can do it. 
You're either going to love one, be devoted to one, you're going to hate the other. You know, the end of that verse, he says, you cannot serve God and mammon or wealth. I like the word resources there because it's not about wealth, is it? Because then we would say, well, that guy over there is wealthy. I'm not. So that means I worship God all the time. Doesn't mean that at all, does it? What do you resource? I mean, when I resource something, whatever it is, when I resource something for my day, for my capacity to live in life, I am worshiping. Who are you worshiping? Who are you worshiping? What are you resourcing? And here's the point. If, you, if, if I don't understand what I'm treasuring, I won't know where my heart is so that when I come to worship something, I could worship something inappropriately. I could worship something that is not God. And then I get in this confused state of what am I worshiping? I mean, have you ever been convicted that you were worshiping something other than God? Say yes. I mean, I have. You know? I mean, in times when it's kind of shocking. You go, wow, I'm enjoying this way too much. Why is it bringing such value to my life? This thing, why? I treasure it. And that treasuring of it creates worship toward it instead of my worship toward God. Now, we walk into rooms like this on Sunday morning because we intend to worship God. We, are, we, we want to worship God. We want to know Him better. We don't want to do that. And Jesus is trying to help us out here. How do you know... How do you know whether or not you're worshiping God or something else? It's where your heart is. It's where your heart is. How do you feel about it? How do you think about it? What are you doing with it? How's trust being built in your life because of it? Does that make sense? Let's look at the next example. It's verse 25 through 34 of Matthew chapter 6. We just talked through this. It's about the nature of worry and the power of worry in our life. The cure for worry, as some would call this text of Scripture. But how is my experience in life every day affecting my thoughts? Now listen, when I walk through my day and I look at life and I'm in relationships with people and I've got people who love me and people who don't so much love me and I've got great things, I've got car, i got all this stuff, I, you know, I write checks to pay for stuff. I mean, when I'm doing all of these things, what is that doing to my heart? I have to ask that question. You know why? Let, let, me, let me describe it in an illustration. When I was a financial planner quite a number of years ago now, I had a client who was worth $4.2 million. And $4 million of that money was in cash. I had his bank accounts. He had $4 million in cash. And when we met, here's what he talked about. How can I make sure I don't lose that $4 million? What he talked about was, how can I make sure that I spend little so that the $4 million stays safe? What creates safety for you? Is it $4 million? That's what it was for him. <laughs> when, when, he, when he talked about this and when he thought about market stuff and the market going up and down like this, it scared him to death. He was saying, how can I make sure that that $4 million is really, really safe because that's where his heart was. You, you see what he was doing? You see, it doesn't take bad experiences to create worry. Four million dollars can create worry. So your life experiences, are they creating worry or are they creating the internal peace that Christ came to give you? Harmony of heart. Tranquility of heart. How do you experience it every day? Do you walk through the day full of peace or do you walk through the day worried? The answer to that question is based on what you treasure. And if you treasure the heavenly things, you're going to come to a place to where you're more at peace. And if you treasure earthly things, guess what? Worry 
is going to follow you. You see it? But I, I won't be able to cure worry if I don't think about my heart. I mean, I'll look at it like, give me $4 million. I'd love to have that problem. Third example. We talked about this last week in Matthew 7, 1 and 2, didn't we? About the judgments and about the nature of determinations. I'm calling them determinations because I don't want you to get the condemnation problem infused in this. But just when a person makes a determination about something that is true, something that they want, something they're going to do, something they're committed to, when they make determinations, how do those determinations, what result do they have? Do they create connection with others or separations from others? Do you see? I mean, right in the middle of my relationships, the things that I want can become so dominant in my life. The things that I know can become so dominant in my life. The things I'm committed to, the determinations I have, can become so dominant in my life that I don't even want the other person around me right now. I separate instead of connect. And when that person's your husband or your wife or your child, happens every day, doesn't it? The very worst case scenario from what Christ is trying to get us to understand and experience takes place in our lives when the very things we're committed to ends up separating us from the people that we love the deepest and the most. I never will forget the second church I pastored. I, I went to this church. We had a deacon in this church who had not spoken to his daughter in 10 years. 10 years. Because he had made a determination about something that was in her life that was unacceptable to him. Ten years. Leader of the church. You see, they can rob us from the very thing Christ came to give us. I mean, if anything, a parent has the opportunity of influence of a child, they should nurture that, right? They should own it. They should want it beyond anything else. Even when that child's haywire. Because we all get there sometimes, right? <laughs> we didn't eat our Snickers that day. <laughs> I mean, you know how we ended the message last week? Do I see, do you see that your judgments are how God is creating focus in your life? When you come to a place of judgment about something, He's creating a focus in your life? Because, isn't this true? Every time you make a judgment, you are talking about you. You're not just talking about that other person. You may even be right. So what? You're still talking about you. You just made the judgment. Why did you make that judgment? How did you come to the place of that judgment? Why is that judgment so dominant in your life that it may cause separation between you and that other person? Or does it create the connector? Because judgments are about you. They're not about the other person. When I make them about the other person, I'm missing the whole thing. Jesus is trying to get me to see. What am I treasuring? I'm treasuring something that creates a judgment in my life. And that judgment comes out against this other person, so I separate myself from that other person. And Jesus is saying, that's about you. It's about your heart. If you miss that, you're missing the whole subject. It's not about whether you're right or not. That's why Jesus prayed in John 17 that we would come to unity. That's why peace is a core concept. It's not elective. You follow me? And I'm talking about relational peace. That's why. 
Because when I judge, when I have a determination, that is about me. God is trying to put the focus on me so that I can understand what's going on in my heart. Why? Because he wants me to worship and he wants me to be able to make determinations that are just and fair and righteous and gracious and pure. He wants me to do that. And he wants me to do it in such a way that I actually know what my responsibility is toward other people. Have you ever looked at Matthew 7, 6? and just said, what is that verse doing there? I mean, right in the middle of all this, he says, don't cast your pearl before swine. Do what? I didn't know we were talking about pigs. <laughs> you know, don't feed your crumbs to dogs. When you have something that is the truth, who do you give it to? Upon what basis do you give it to them? Should you just give it to them just because you can give it? I think that's the subject of verse 6. And when the nature of that decision comes in my mind, when I know something and I've got the truth, who do I give it to? I want, when do I give it away? When do I entrust it to another? That's a determination I make. Why do I make that determination? Because of what my heart looks like. Every time is because of what my heart looks like. Why do, what does my heart look like? It looks like my treasures. What do I treasure? Do you see it? I mean, even verse 7 through 11 about prayer. Ask and it shall be given. You know, knock, you shall open the, you know, knock, open the door, right? I mean, these wonderful verses, 7 through 11, about prayer. Is it connected to this whole passage or is it just separated from everything? Well, intimately connected. I mean, why do you ask for what you ask for when you ask of God? Why? Your heart is the answer to that question. If you were to just do a, do a little thing, if you were to take 30 days and write down everything you ask of God, just write it on a piece of paper, and at the end of the 30 days, go back and look at that piece of paper, it would tell you what you treasure. You know why? Because you, like most of us, are just honest when we get in God's presence. <laughs> you know, we know we can't fool Him. We better not lie to Him. I mean, the Bible says He hates a liar. Wow. Well, if God's hating a liar, I don't want to be one, right? <laughs> so when you're asking these things, you're asking pure. You're asking because they're real. They will tell you where your treasure lies just by listening what you pray. Do you see it? Jesus is trying to help us get to the place to where we understand what our own heart looks like, what our own heart is about. I mean, and how does verse 12 of chapter 7 connect to verse 13 and 14? You know what verse 12 is? Commonly called the golden rule. You know, treat others. Not in fairness. That's not what it says, is it? Treat them the way you want to be treated. How do you want to be treated? How about privileged? <laughs> you know? I mean, if I go up and say something to somebody, I want them to really think the best of me right off the bat. Not think the worst of me. You know? I mean, does that connect to how you pray? You better believe it. What do you pray for others? Does it connect how you see the gate? Is it a narrow road that leads to the gate or is it a broad road that leads to the gate? It does. In the relationships that we have, it has everything to do with what God is up to in our lives and through our lives to others, everything. There's not a disconnection here at all. This whole chapter, everything that's inside the Sermon on the Mount revolves around the heart of the individual. And if I get my heart, I'm going to be able to access all these things God wants for me. But if I miss my heart, I will miss the thing God is wanting for me. The very things that could produce power in my life. Ask and it shall be given. And unfortunately, how some people read that text, they say, I tried it, it didn't work. What's that called? 
not believing God. I mean, say it like it is. That's just not believing God. He said, ask and it shall be given. Do you mean it? Do you see? And some people make it about the ask. They make it about what they're praying for. That tells you about their heart. What are they praying for? Look at the subjects of your prayers. You'll know what you're treasuring. Look at how your relationships go. You'll know what you're treasuring. And when you know what you're treasuring, you know what your heart looks like. You know what your heart looks like because it looks just like what you treasure. Nothing less. Nothing less. And He wants us to get it. Why? Because He wants us to worship Him and Him alone. First commandment stuff, right? He wants us to have no other gods before Him. He wants us to come to the place to where we know Him and we're known of Him. And like golden rule stuff. He wants us to treat others more than fair, beyond fair. Because I don't want to just be treated fairly. I stopped wanting to be treating fairly a long time ago. <laughs> How about you? If I got treated fairly, it wouldn't be too pretty. How about you? I, I want to be treated privileged. I want to be treated like a brother, like a saint. And sometimes, well, I don't show up that way. Why? Because of what I treasure. You get it? You got the connectors? See, God's after things for us, and He wants us to experience them. But if we don't understand what the nature of our own heart is, we're going to miss the very thing that He's providing for us. I've got to be able to look at my heart accurately. And the way I look at my heart accurately is understanding what I treasure. I mean, how do you see your heart? Upon what basis do you see your heart? Or do you even think about your heart? Do you say, I didn't do that? Is that the subject? Or I did this. Talk to me about what I did. Is that as far as it goes for you? Jesus is saying, if that's as far as it goes, you're not getting far enough. No wonder you're not experiencing the things that He wants you to experience. He wants you to get to the place to where you know Him and you walk with Him. And, you know, and if, see, if I don't focus on my heart, I'm going to miss what Jesus is saying in this text in the whole Sermon on the Mount. I will miss every part of it. Now, I might know it. I might be able to preach the sermon, so to speak. I can teach the Sunday school class. I can tell someone else what it means. But if I miss my heart, I will worship something other than God. And He doesn't want me to miss worship of Him. Worshiping God is the most important thing that ever happens to a human being. That's why it's called in spirit and in truth, you know? And He wants me to worship God beyond anything and everything else. But if I don't see my heart, I won't be able to do that. I will miss it. So He says, know what you treasure so that you'll know where your heart is. And it's a daily thing. Every day I have to look at, what am I treasuring now? Because I don't know about you, but I'm fickle. <laughs> I change. And how I experience life changes. Why? Because I'm emotional. I'm mental. Some people think I'm mental. I'm volitional. You know, I got these desires and I make these choices. And I know at the most heart, the most rooted place in my life, I'm spiritual. And see, what God wants us to do is get down the list. 
He wants to move me past the emotion, past the mental, past the volitional, to the spiritual, so that the emotional, mental, and volitional actually accentuate the spiritual, so that I'm actually experiencing what He wants me to experience, the worship of God, the nature of a real God in my life every day, peace inside, not just the defense of my actions, not just the defense of what I did or didn't do, not just that, but peace inside, tranquility of heart with Him and with others. He wants connectors with others, not separations to happen. He wants connectors. Proverbs 18.1 says, The man who separates himself is foolish. The person who separates themselves, they have an agenda. They want their own stuff. That's why they separate themselves. Not connect. Not press in. God wants us to press in. He wants us to be able to focus on where real godliness comes from. And how does godliness actually develop? Instead of it just being this image stuff, you know? You know what I'm talking about? Where you just show up and because you physically show up, they think you're... That doesn't work with God. Why? I mean, from the Old Testament on, He has said, hasn't He? Very clearly, He doesn't look at the outside of the person. He looks at the inside of the person. It's not about whether I got a tie on or not. Now, how close you sit to somebody, maybe whether they had a bath, and don't get me wrong, you know, there's fills, you know. But godliness, where does real godliness come from? Responsibility of knowing what I know. You know, why do I know what I know? What kind of steward am I of what God has taught me? Effective prayer life. You know, godly expectations in relationships. You know, how the whole nature of the, the prayer life and the golden rule and the nature of what salvation actually is. It's a narrow road, not a wide road. All of those things, how all that works out in relationships. He wants me, he wants me to achieve it. He wants me to experience it, not lose it. But if I don't look at my heart, I don't have a chance. I don't have a chance. And so he says, understand what you treasure is what your heart looks like. What do you treasure? You know, you come out of this with one action point. I just have one action point. You know, how will you change in order to see your heart more accurately? That's the way I say it. You know, how will you change to see your heart more accurately? I don't know about you, but every day I can be different. I can change. I can, I can grow a little bit. I can mature a little bit. If I'm the same as I was yesterday, that's called staleness. There needs to be movement in how I understand my heart. That's why at one time I'll treasure one thing above another thing. There are times in my life when I don't care about certain kinds of things at all. And other times I really care about those very same things. Why? Because it's my heart talking. He wants me to see my heart. You know what creates safety for you? Four million dollars great house, a relationship. Do you see what I'm trying to say today? And listen, with all of my heart, I'm, I'm saying, let's just pray it. Lord, with all of our hearts, we're saying, we want to see ourselves accurately, right where our heart is right now. Because if I see myself that way, I'll know how well I worship or why I'm worried instead of experiencing peace or how I can deal with a brother or a sister in Christ who 
has a different determination from mine. I will, I will be able to achieve those kinds of relational exchanges in a way that's helpful, knowing when to give truth away and when to, when to withhold, knowing how to pray and what to pray about. Lord, help us to see ourselves, to see our heart more accurately. Because God, it does no one any good, and we know this well. It does us no good to play a game with you. But when we will just get honest about where we are right now, you tell us we're going to make progress, and we're going to move closer to you, and we're going to be deeper in relationships. And we're going to, the challenges will be there, but the opportunity to experience your peace, your harmony, the tranquility of heart will also be there. And God, when, when families like Addison's lose a little baby, a little boy, 13 years old, precious life, the loss that they experience does not have to be maintained as loss because there's life eternal. Lord, grant us the ability to move the treasures of our life to those things that you value and you treasure so that the nature of our heart will be free to experience the things that you have for us to experience. Keep us from the ravages of a heart that treasures transitory, temporal, earthly things. Thank you, Jesus, for being so clear Help us now as we worship you through this song, as we give back to you, as we identify ways that we can make movement and change. Help us to clearly get it so that the power of what you're out for in our lives would actually be achieved. And I pray that in the strong name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.